You're listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast's Financial Friday, a dedicated show about how to apply principled theory to a financial strategy, getting you one step closer to financial freedom. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Patrick, and welcome to Financial Friday. Now, I am in a uh, different location than Salt Lake City, Utah, my home office. I'm actually in Florence, Italy. And my wife has had a dream of coming here for so many years. And there's actually a conference that I'm attending. So we excited to extend a little bit and uh, visit a few cities. And so we were in Milan, then went to Venice for a few days, then came here to the conference in Florence. And then tomorrow we're headed to Rome for a few days. So we're hitting all of the hot spots. And you know, I thought what would be appropriate today is to talk about Italy, the past, the present, and the future, and what that has to do with you specifically in regards to the idea of compound interest. So get ready for another episode. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. My book, the Amazon bestseller, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, a financial strategy to reignite the American dream is completely changing the way people look at saving, wealth, and retirement. Want a sneak peek? Head on over to www.headsortailsiwin.com forward slash podcast for a free audio and text download of my favorite chapter. Again, that's headsortailsiwin.com forward slash podcast. All right, so let's first talk about the past. So I've mentioned this, I think, in episodes of the past, but Italy is actually the credited as being the ground zero for banking. And it's really the more robust organizations that had massive influence started here in Italy. And you can still see signs of that. One of the most prominent families, probably one of the more well-known ones, was the Medici family. And the Medici family, you know, you could see their coat of arms everywhere. And it's really, really popular here. But I learned a few different things. I thought that would be interesting for you guys. So first off, it was the first, you know, prominent banking family that had tremendous influence during the Renaissance era. And eventually part of this line became popes and lots of influence. But from a banking perspective, here's something that's pretty fascinating. So first off, they're credited with the creation of double accounting using two variables, credits and debits. But the banking family also funded the creation of the opera. And they also funded the creation of the piano. So these are things that, you know, we look at every day and realize that they're just a part of our culture, but they weren't necessarily here several thousand years ago. And it's interesting just to see the history behind it and that it was funded by, by credit, by somebody taking a loan, using that loan to make something. And in this case, it was opera and the piano. However, a lot of the early banking families like the Rothschilds, you know, obviously the Medici family is also part of it, but they lent a lot of money to the Catholic Church. So in addition to, you know, these ventures, the opera and the piano, the Medici family also funded the construction of St. Peter's Basilica, which is at the Vatican City. So I think that's also uh, very, very interesting. And then there's a bank in Siena. The bank is the oldest bank still running today, and it was founded in 1472. So before Columbus sailed the ocean blue, there was an Italian bank that was uh, up and running, and it's called the Banca Monte de Pasci di Siena. 
and I totally botched the accent, but that's like essentially, you know, Italy is very instrumental in creating what we know as banking today. Now let's get to kind of the transition to the present. So Italy, you look around and like, it's such an amazing culture. I've never been here before, but there's beauty everywhere. The art, the cathedrals, the ornateness of everything, the food, the culture is so, so rich. So why don't they have the power that they once did? They were the superpower of the world. Obviously, Rome being one of the greatest examples of you know, a society that rose and then subsequently fell. And I look at it, there's many variables, and it's going to get to the point I'm going to make in regards to compound interest in just a second. But if you look at why they lost so much power, I put it into two primary reasons. The first reason is the wealthy that were clearly intelligent, mainly coming from banking and being able to lend on ventures that were suitable for lending, such as the opera, such as the piano, such as, you know, there's lots of different trade ships and the shipping industry being funded by banks. And they had it going really well. And there were some incredibly wealthy nobles and non-nobles. But what you started to find was that there became this idea that in order for the wealthy person to get into heaven, right? You know, it's the whole camel's eye thing that we've heard in Sunday school for so long that they had to actually make some pretty big donations to the church for them to be, you know, permitted to go to heaven, I guess. So it was interesting. There's several different comments on some of the tours we took that talked about how much of the wealthy's money went into funding just these incredible cathedrals and churches, which is nice because we still have that today. But at the same time, you look at really the productivity and the mind behind what was, you know, the wealth that was created in the first place, the ability to analyze and price risk that, you know, it went into something that really did not produce anything, right? And so I find that interesting. That's the first variable. Second variable is that disruption happens, right? And what happened in 1492? Columbus sailed the ocean blue. New trade routes were created. New trade partners were created. So it no longer was the Mediterranean Sea. It really became to the Americas and slowly the Roman Empire as well as Italy and their significance started to falter. So it's just interesting to see how us as humanity, as humans, you know, and just our race and how we innovate and we're always making things better and new things are created that we don't necessarily anticipate. And it ruins businesses sometimes. Just look at what the retail industry is becoming because of Amazon, you have disruption and you have cycles and you have new ways of doing business. And it puts you know, older businesses, established business on the fritz. And you see that quite often, especially in our day and age. And it happened back then too. So let's transition to today. So Italy today is you know, part of the European Union. So this is the present. This is Italy of the present. And it's not doing so well. However, Italy has a pretty big economy. It's about a $2 trillion economy. It's part of the European Union. I think it's either fourth or fifth as far as its GDP, you know, $2 trillion is its GDP. But the issue with Italy is that from a banking perspective, they should be the experts in loans, right? If they're the ones that, you know, where banking originated. But right now their GDP is, I believe, over 150% and their credit rating is one notch. I think it's triple B. Anyway, I'm not sure the exact rating but it's one notch above junk. Junk is considered a very high risk bond or high risk investment. And that's where Italy's bond rating is right now. One of the riskiest countries out there, one of the poorest situations. They're currently in a recession. They had some negative quarters of GDP in 2018 and currently in a recession. And I'm going to give you one example of some of the stuff they're spending money on. So they're taking out loans 
Again, you would think with a background in banking that they would know how to price the risk of different ventures, right? Just as a culture, but they committed money to building this tunnel that goes underneath the Alps and it connects to France. And I know the European Union has pledged money for it as well as France and I think a few other countries. However, Italy pledged, you know, I think 30, 35% of the project and the project from the get-go has a negative $7 billion return. So obviously the point of making an investment with debt is to have a positive return. And that's the nature of debt. But oftentimes when you put debt in the hands of government politicians, they don't necessarily have the incentive to always be profitable. It's to do what's good for everyone. But yet there are a lot of unintended consequences with that, such as the situation they're in right now where they have way more debt than they have GDP. And as interest rates should be creeping in on their ability to go into junk status and possibly be defunct and bankrupt. And what's interesting is the whole concept of bankruptcy originated in Italy, banca rota, which is like the broken table because banking used to happen on a table. That's where banca comes from. Interesting side note. And this is where Italy's at, but I look at where they're priced in the market and they're priced at a very interesting interest rate. So if you go to the Italy 10-year yield, right, you know, the United States typically to understand kind of the medium of short-term and long-term bonds, you have the 10-year yield. So in Italy, it is basically at the same level as the US 10-year bond. So that shows you just how mispriced the markets are when it comes to the underlying collateral, which is in this case, Italy's government, and being on par with the United States, who has, you know, the best credit rating that's out there. So it's just fascinating. So I think, you know, the reason why it's priced like that in the present is because you have the European Union, the European Central Bank is this ultimately going to be forced to bail them out. Anyway, really interesting. Who knows what the future is going to be, which is what I'm getting to in just a second, because oftentimes the fundamentals, the logical way of thinking as, you know, as far as A plus B plus C equals this, if this happens, well, then this should happen. Well, then this should happen. You know, it's the human being's ability to deduce and their the ability to be rational and understand connections. But at the same time, human beings also have the tendency more often than not to be irrational and their behaviors don't reflect logic. And so that really comes down to the future and that in the future, we don't really know what's going to happen. We can speculate. But right now, Japan has been operating at over 200% debt to GDP for a really long time, but they keep on going. Obviously, they have their own central bank, which is the Bank of Japan, whereas Italy does not. It's the European Central Bank because they're part of the European Union, so they can't you know, essentially create their own currency. So it'll be interesting what the future holds, okay? But what this does show is that there is a lot of things that are out of whack and things are changing very quickly as far as technology, as far as new people coming online, new technologies. And that disruption is what creates companies going out of business, countries having major issues politically. And what does that have to do with you? Well, that has a lot to do with you because we live in a world that is interconnected. And today, the majority of American savings, which I'm assuming the majority of people listening right now are Americans, the majority of savings is tied to markets and markets are affected and impacted by a few things. Speculation, the speculation of what things are like. They price, you know, for instance, the two and a half percent ish that the Italian tenure is at as far as yield is concerned. That's priced into expecting that the European Central Bank is going to bail them out. 
But if they don't bail them out, what is going to happen? You're going to have a tumbling in the bond market, which means prices are going to go down quite a bit and the yield is going to spike to where normal levels should be for a country that has a bad rating. But right now, the expectation is that the European Central Bank is going to bail them out. So therefore, the yield is still pretty stable. And you know, you look at other aspects of the market and what it prices, and sometimes it's rational, sometimes it's not. But the disruption and how quickly things are evolving shows that there is going to be volatility. And when you have volatility, you have a much higher probability of loss, okay, when uh, actually asset prices go down. All right, so actually, let me hit on one more point. So I look at my experience here in Italy because it's not just the debt to GDP, which is really high, but there's super high unemployment, like almost 11%. But walking around the streets of these different countries, you wouldn't think that there is a high unemployment rate. The people of Italy seem to be very, very productive. And what I mean by that is, you know, they don't open till 10, 30, 11 in the morning, stores, cafes, restaurants, and then they close for the majority of the afternoon for like a siesta. And then they open up at night and they still are profitable. So I look at the amount of youth that are on the street as well as a lot of the businesses that I have observed, and there's a lot of productivity. So it's not that, you know, the Italian government, and it's a very dynamic people too. I mean, you look at how beautiful the hills are, the environment is, the tourism that exists here. It's incredible. So the ability to be productive is, I think those resources are there for the Italian people, yet oftentimes that's not what is relied upon for things to rebound. It's typically government who intervenes and thinks that they know the right decisions to make. And apparently that's not working out so well for most governments. But we're not going to be talking about that more than what I've already mentioned. All right, so let's get to the last aspect of this short episode of Financial Friday, which is compound interest. So this is where I look at one of the things that I see as the biggest, I would say, misunderstanding or financial point that is made that is never questioned, which is the idea of compound interest. So compound interest is typically defined when an amount, typically money, is earning interest, and then that interest earns interest, and that continues to grow. And the hockey stick example is often used. You know, exponential growth is often used. The rule of 72 applies to compound interest. But whenever it comes to something that can lose, when there is a loss available and anything that is assessed as being uh, compound interest, the whole notion of compound interest must be questioned. And here's why. And I use this example in the book that I wrote last year in Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. And I hit on it a few different times because a lot of the claims in financial services with typical financial planning, right, is that because the market has earned certain rates of return in the past, that they use that, even though they disclaim that, you know, the past results are not going, they're not indicative of what future results are going to be, they still use it and they use an interest rate to determine how interest compounds over time. So if the market has averaged, let's say, 10% over the last 30 years, then that 10% is used every single year without loss to determine what an end value will be. But here's the problem with that, is if you actually look at the nature of markets, when a market goes up and interest is earned, but then the market goes down and there is a loss, what happens next is very important. You can't just measure the number Because if you look at an average return, if you lose 50% in the market, 
and then you earn 50% that next year. So one year you lose 50%, the next year you gain 50%, you're not going to be at zero. But if you earn 50% and then lose 50%, you're going to be at zero. So why is that the case? So let's look at 2008. So the markets collapsed in 2008 and the S&P lost about 40%. So math shows that, well, if it lost 40%, it's going to get back to break even if it earns 40% because negative 40 plus 40 is zero divided by two is zero. However, if you lose $40,000, okay? So if you have a $100,000 balance, you lose 40%, $40,000, and then you gain back 40%, you're only gaining back 40% on $60,000, okay? So let me do that math for you again. If you start with $100,000 and in 2008, you lose 40%. Now your balance is $60,000. If you earn 40%, you're earning not on 100, you're earning on 60, which is only 24,000. So you're at $84,000, not back to 100, but yet the average return is zero. There was an event that kind of boiled my blood because you know, I was talking about compound interest and talking about average returns and they were showing what the future will look like if these average returns are earned. And it also looked at, and the claim was made that if you didn't participate in the 300% increase in the market over the course of the last, you know, 10 years, then you lost out. And I've heard that quite a bit, not just from this group. This group particularly hit home because there's an affinity that I have with so many other of their teachings. And this thing just like totally spun me because of the notion of competent interest and just how misunderstood, even at very high levels, this concept is. So I ran some numbers. I'm going to post these numbers on the show notes. But the numbers show that from 2008 to 2018, right? So 11-year period of time, the market losing, it was 38.49%, the S&P 500. And the gains that it earned over the course of the last 10, 11 years, or since 2009, which is a 10-year period of time. So if you look at you know the increase that it's being talked about, it's the level of the S&P and the level that it's at today, right? Which can be argued that those two levels show you know, almost a 300% increase. However, that is not how money works. That's how math works, where you can measure those two points and show the increase, but you're missing time, number one. You're missing 10 years there, okay? Because 300% in one year is amazing. Over the course of 10 years, not so much. Even if you look at a 30% average, right? Which I guess you can, you know, if you just took 300 and divided by 10, but that's not reality. So I ran the numbers. I'm going to post this in the show notes. But the average return is actually only 6.74% over that 11-year period of time if you factor in the 38% loss. And if you factor in management fees, 1%, and then you factor in taxes, the actual return is just above 2.5%. That is how profoundly misunderstood this concept is. So when you hear average returns... That's something that you want to call into question. If it has to do with a account that can lose money, where your balance can actually have a loss in a year, the notion of compound interest must be analyzed at a much higher economic level where you're able to factor in the actual losses of money, not just the losses of an interest rate. So I didn't want to lose you guys too much. I'm going to post a video that I did on compound interest or link it in the show notes because this will help kind of go through these examples. So what do you guys think? Do you guys like what you're hearing? Is this interesting to you? Do you like some of the history of banking? 
And I hope for you guys take some action and actually go and study what compound interest is, how it works. These videos are very short, 10, 12 minutes, I think, the particular one I'm referring to. And I know that it'll make a big difference because it'll give you some knowledge, give you some education that it, as you're learning about finance and seeing how it applies to you specifically, and it, most people will ultimately run some compound interest calculations, make sure you do it the right way. All right. So if you guys wouldn't mind, and if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, subscribe. If you guys aren't following me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, love to connect with you. Uh, I try to post as much as possible. I'm posting about being here in Europe. It's a fantastic trip. Hope you guys get to come here if you haven't already. But uh, also, if you guys would do some reviews, if you review on iTunes, that really helps us get the word out, get the message out. But love to hear your feedback. And thanks for tuning in to this episode of Financial Friday. So this is Patrick signing out from Florence, Italy. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Oh,